Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm here just for a special appearance he for the is. Q&A episode. He's far too famous now oh, to join yeah, us right. every week. I wasn't invited back on all the episodes. Oh, I come when I can, you know, but you know, I'm not always invited. So it's good to be here. I'm glad I could be the one asking the questions today. The hard hitting questions from the people. What you want to know, we're going to get answers today. Let's do it, man. At least this as many as we like can. Part one of yes. two yes. Q&As. We might, we might, because uh, probably 40% of our episodes for season three haven't even released yet, or at least a quarter of them. And the well, majority we wanna... of them have been questions, haven't they? From from yes. our listeners? Yeah, a lot right? of them have been. So anyway, we'll, we'll address more questions moving on. But this is from probably the first three quarters of the season and uh, questions that you guys have submitted. So, hey, it's going to be fun. And to answer your questions, we have, Pastor the, Aaron, we have the misogynist over here to uh, my left. Um, my wife disagrees. <laughs> we'll just say this. Because she has Many to. people disagree. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Many oh people my disagree. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, welcome, sometimes welcome Aaron back. takes the, the off-air jokes on I got air. Some off-air yeah, content right, this yeah, week, right? so yeah. um, <laughs> luckily this isn't live. Adam Powers, pastor of Sunrise, also here with us to answer our questions. Um, Good to be here, and I think it's fun because we've done a bunch of different episodes, hitting a bunch of different topics this year, and the content always comes from the people from the church. What do they want to hear? What questions do they have? Like you said, and that's yeah, yeah. that's where most of our episodes are deep dives into these questions. And today we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can. It'll be more of a lightning round. Yes. So it's not going to be the most in-depth question, but it'll hopefully answer questions for people. And I'll probably have some follow-up questions on what the people would want to know with a question like where we're starting, which is how old is the earth? <laughs> you got this, bro. It doesn't matter. And that was going to be my follow-up. It doesn't matter. Some does. people think it do. It does. Yeah, it do. they're wrong. Some people think it do. It do matter, hey, Adam. It okay? don't. Okay. All right. Aaron, why does it matter? Because I think I think we need to answer the questions of philosophy and logic and science as best we can. And I think there is a scientific explanation biblically for, as a matter of fact, I think the Bible is relatively quiet on how old the earth is, but it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. I think what we can do is we can see from scripture, from the book of Genesis, a direct correlation in line, because we're actually doing a podcast next week, kind of a one-off out of Oz right. on, part on of talking it. about... Um, what is it? Good Mythical Morning, those guys who deconstructed. And one of their big points was, well, the Bible is unscientific. And I don't think it is. I think the Bible very clearly directs us to that the earth could have been created with age. Uh, and so therefore it's young. With the appearance it, of with age. With the appearance of age, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, which I would lean toward that being wrong. I think that it's most likely old. To, to what extent old, but I think the reason I say that is just since the Bible is si- silent on the age of the earth, I think science is not silent on that. And so I, I think in the absence, for me, in the absence of scripture, scripture is very clear that God is the creator of it all. Very clear there. All right. I got mm-hmm. you a cough in your mouth, but Amen. Very, very clear. Amen. But but yeah. how, it's, and, and it's even it's not it's not unclear on how he went about it. But as far as the chronological 
lapse of time, whether it was 4.5 million years or 6,000 years, I think it's more so silent there. Totally. And so, and which is so, which is what the question is: age. Yeah, but yeah. I, but so I think that science fills in the silence for us. That's mm-hmm. that's where I would lean. And you can see science different ways. So basically, you're saying you don't think God created Earth with the fossils and the stuff. Yeah, that I don't was think he created it to look mature. I think that would be. Do you think he took billions of years but he to did create that with Adam. it? And it wasn't seven actual days. Like, does that? So come I personally into it? would lean toward the gap theory. Like oh pretty, my god! Pretty heavy. You, really? I would lean toward that it was seven actual days, twenty-four hour periods of time, with spaces of time between them. That's what I think makes the most sense. Mm. Why did you have such a? I'm a, I'm a literary framework guy, which means that Genesis is not a science book. Its purpose Agreed. is not scientific. Its purpose is to enter into and begin the story of redemption. And any Christian who goes to Genesis to look for scientific explanations of the earth is looking at Genesis in a way that Moses did not intend it to be written at all or to be read. Not saying we can't pull scientific things from it. And not saying it doesn't but, matter. But the, but. but the cart doesn't drive the horse here. And so we're, we're going through Genesis at sunrise. I did the entire first sermon on this very question and went through and listed out our heroes that are both old earth guys and young earth guys. And I do think that this is a question that is not that important in the grand scheme of things, as long as we are not treating Genesis as a science book. So you both would say the Bible is not clear on the answer of old earth versus new earth. Is that right? I I agree with that. Okay. But you think that there's even using science, there's not a real clear answer. And you think that Old Earth gap theory makes, seems well, more well. I, would, I wouldn't say gap theory. I think that's one that makes the most sense to me. I just think Old Earth makes more scientific sense based okay. on the evidence we have. But if it, but if someday it was proven that it was New Earth, it wouldn't change it. It wouldn't make you think the Bible is not true anymore. Correct. Okay. I, I don't think it is a foundation or even secondary issue right. where you should divide over I agree at all. That. Maybe, but I, I do think it yeah. matters though because there's a lot of objections to Christianity based upon the younger theorist. Ah, uh, there used to be. I think. I think, I think in fundamentalist circles, I think that really matters. In our circles, I don't think it does. I do think people try to find ways to discredit Christianity, and this is one of them. Yeah. And they find mm. where the Bible is not black and white, and they try to make that into something that disproves the Bible. I think that's kind of where a lot of these questions come from, because I think it's hard to know stuff like this. Uh, speaking of things that are difficult to know, and if they matter, <laughs> aliens. Oh, my God. So where's the professor? And we don't need to where talk about we don't need to talk about if they exist or whether or not they exist or any of those questions. I assume you hit that on the podcast. I was not there for that. We one. did not. not that's a good one. I don't feel like I missed anything. Um, but <laughs> that was good. I don't have a, a I don't have a colorful one. mind uh, enough a for an one, alien, yeah. but so Dr. whether or not they exist, mm. does that matter to Christianity? Can they be Christians? Is the Bible unfair if there are aliens? All those kinds of questions. I think we answered this on the podcast. Okay. And the reason why we would answer it is to say, no, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't shift. Some people, it's almost like if, if we found out that alien life does exist, it would change the redemptive narrative or the backdrop of redemption. And we're, I think we were pretty clear repeatedly on that episode that it would not change the redemptive tale. It would not change the fact that the universe is the backdrop to the redemptive story and that there's still one God over all creation. So it matters because it would not change. Why is the Bible silent on it then? It didn't say God created the animals or didn't say he created human, didn't say he created aliens. In the culture the Bible was written in, this was not an issue, hands down. So we don't find anything on it. 
Interesting. If the Bible written today. Well, I actually argued on the podcast that we do find quite a bit in scripture on it. <laughs> but uh, Jesus himself being the well, we, greatest we find extraterrestrial. Cos- yeah, J- Jesus is the extraterrestrial that has come into our world and everything is cosmic. So like angels could be considered aliens? Absolutely. Totally. They are. Totally. Okay. Yeah. yeah, what we I guess define by the definition as alien, alien that's really matters. Not that's ET, true. that's true. But angels, demons, but I mean like life on God. Mars. Yeah, so we talked about that too. And like, would they be considered ba- animals? All, yeah. Whether whether yeah. we, which I took the position of mo- most Chuck likely, Norris. there's most likely there's something out there, but it doesn't change the redemptive story. Yeah. What kind of rewards should believers expect in heaven? Great rewards. The chief of them being God Himself. Mm-hmm. It's so hard for us to like get there, right? It's like, yeah. well, heaven's going to be so great if this person's there or I was just talking so, to so Maverick. So great if certain people aren't there. <laughs> but I was just talking no. to my six-year-old about this literally. <laughs> what? And that's oh like, he's, that's like his number one <laughs> thing is like, who's going to be there oh. from our family and things like that. But it, it is hard for even adults to get to the greatest reward in heaven yeah. is the presence of the Lord. But I think the person asking this question, I think it's coming from a, are there greater rewards is there gifted a level, for faithfulness and, and increased sanctification? I think that's where it's it coming seems from. seems like because we all know there's these positional be. rewards of sonship and right, right, and we're heirs of eternal life now, and we get God Himself, and we have the presence of Christ with us. But is is my mansion to be bigger than yours? Clearly, mine would be smaller than either one of y'all's because of all my wonderings. But I just got a room uh, in Adam's house. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> in his basement. I'm in his basement. I'm set up. In his, there's a lot of books there, though. So yes. it's okay. It's okay. Um, but I think that's what they're getting at, like the crowns that we'll receive or right, the, that will cast. You know, out. yeah, I do think that there's going to be levels of reward in heaven, but we're not going to care about it. Here, we're like, yeah. well, what kind of competitions are going to be? There's going to be no sin, no pride, no envy no coveting, it's not going to matter. And we will glory in the success of one another in faithfulness as we will glory at the person holding the door as we come in the grand temple, right? And then the credit still goes to God for them. Amen. And so to me, I would take your approach on the first question when you said, doesn't matter about the age of the earth. Because if if, if there is increased rewards for me over Peter based on faithfulness, the motivation here in this time and place is almost always going to be poor for mm-hmm. wanting to receive those crowns. And that's kind of you know, what I was getting like, at is where oh, the Bible, I need to do better than Peter right, so that I get more rewards right, than right, Peter. Right. Like it's like, yeah. I don't need to be faithful stuff. because God is worthy of faithfulness, you know? None of that's going to be present there. Yeah. None that's the interesting yeah. thing is like doing things to store up your rewards in heaven. People talk about that all the time. And yeah. it is almost every time I've heard somebody talk about it is an improper way of, of discussing it because you're missing the boat. Right. Like right. you're, you're doing it for rewards here right. to make yourself feel better. Like you're going to have more yeah, in heaven, sure. like yeah, more right. crowns, because we think of crowns as we're going to put them in our pocket as opposed to just more crowns yeah. to throw at Jesus, right. which more right now if we have more money, him with. it could be the same thing, Yeah. right? Like our money here could be literally the same thing. If we thought about it, like we're going to think about it right. in heaven, right? It would just be more money yeah. to give God. Yeah. Well That's said. all it would be. Well said. Um, should Christians celebrate Jewish holidays? I feel like we talk about this a lot in our church. Doesn't our church do a Seder thing? Yeah, we do. Why? So do you have an answer on it? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'd say no. Okay. We Why? don't live in the shadows. We live in the realities. The, we, it's been fulfilled. Yeah. Would say. All of them have been fulfilled. If you're a cultural Jew, these cultural to you as a people might still matter in tracing through your ancestry and your lineage. But for Christians and for Gentiles, anyone who, who's not a Jew you're going back to the shadows. You're returning to the Old Testament landscape and scenery. We love the Old Testament. Live, right. I'm not saying you don't love the Old Testament or that we should He's not. in Genesis, for goodness sake. Yeah, we're spending like three years in Genesis. So it's just we live in the realities, not the shadows. 
And so there's no need to go do a reversal in our daily life. So I would say I agree that there's no need to. I mean, like need in the sense of like, we're not in disobedience if we don't. Right. But I do think that it's beneficial for us. I think it um, it actually helps to stabilize our faith when we look back at, you know, clearly at the Old Testament prophecies, at Yom Kippur, at the different signs and symbols of the Old Testament, how they're fulfilled in Messiah. And then also these festivals, these seven feasts and festivals that you find three in the spring. I think it's three in the spring, four in the fall, or vice versa. And then you see the significance and you study the New Testament. And so I think it's always been really impactful for me when we do our Passover Seder here, because they're so like you walk away. Well, it puts you in the shoes of the And you walk away going, Exodus. how can they not see this? Right. Like it's so That's it. incredibly clear that Jesus was the fulfillment of every aspect yeah. of that Passover dinner. Yeah. And so I think it Amen. can be really beneficial and helpful. I don't think it's necessary, but I think it can be helpful and beneficial. Yeah. All right. A question we've answered a thousand times, a thousand different ways, but it's always interesting. And it's the biggest objection basically to most non-believers or people struggling with their faith. If everything is truly part of God's will and God's plan, then doesn't it stand that election of the last two presidents, we'll say, the pandemic, the hurricanes, isn't that, or is that all part of God's will and God's plan? And is it just his attempt to shake us to turn back to him? The first question, the answer is yes. The second question, maybe. All things whatsoever comes to pass, God ordains, allows, permits, whatever verb you want to use or adjective. But they're all, they all mean different things. Or, or do they? That, that goes back to the episode. I thought they were all synonymous. But then the answer to the second one, the purpose in it to waking people up. We don't know God's maybe, purposes, right? Maybe. And certainly in some well, I think some, we know in some cases, how, yes. how much he's declared it to us. Like, so it's all for his glory. And it is to wake people up. You know, like sometimes we'll be yeah. like, is God trying to do this? Or is he attempting? I'm like, God doesn't try or attempt anything. No. He just does it. Like, he you know, he's not like us where he like fails at stuff. Right. I do think there's a, like we talked about on the God ordaining sin podcast. And this question might be from that, but um, I think it is, is there is a big difference between forcibly directly making something happen and allowing or permitting everything that happens is under the umbrella of God's plan and decree because he is a sovereign God. He's an omniscient God. Like he's, he's fully aware of everything before it ever happens. He's ordaining or decreeing all things. But how he goes about ordaining or decreeing those confessionally is different, direct versus indirect causation. And so, I mean, that's, that's how the confessions say it. And so we just had a young man die in our church. I would say that is indirect causation. I don't think that God did that. I don't think that God forcibly directly did that. I don't think that God forcibly directly turned, this is my understanding of scripture, the hurricane Ian from us and then forcibly slammed, slammed it into, into Fort, Fort Myers. Myers. Right. I think that this is indirect causation that God has put in place in the result of living in a broken world. And so when it comes to Trump and when it comes to Biden, that is clearly God's will that they were the president of the United States. Yeah. But then we have a discussion over, was that God's, some people would say perfect will. I would argue that his decree will, this is perfect. Well, everything that happens is perfect ultimately. But is that his directive will um, That's that, only that he's made happen? Yeah. Like predestination would be one of those things that he directly makes happen. Regeneration directly involved. Mm. In it. It's not an indirect causation. Or is it more indirect? I would lean toward Biden and Trump being more indirect causation. I could be wrong on that, but that's, that's how I see it. So while they are part of God's will, and he's still working through that providentially, there's a big difference between like me, once again, if you go back to the episode, me forcing my child to do something and me permitting my child to do something while they're still under my protection and authority. Um, we don't need to rehash that episode. Yeah, yeah. Sure. it could go. We, it was, we a, it was a robust. But one. the question: Do you think there's a difference between God's actions in 
Biden or Trump or whoever the president is versus Saul and ordained kings in the Old Testament? No. I thought he was going to say yes. I, th- I think so. Okay, good. Let's talk about yeah. it. So why do you, what do you think is different? Um, so I see, just to be clear with everybody, I think God is impassable and immutable across time and eternity. But I, at the same time, Frame has really good stuff, I think. You might disagree with the him. triangles everywhere. On, on how God changes and mutates of mm. sorts or, yeah. or operates differently. Like even the incarnation is a mutation, like where God took on flesh. He changed. He took on flesh in uh, you know, the second member of the Trinity. So I think that God certainly, and even like, so partial preterism and cessationism mm-hmm. Glorious. Would, would, would say that God is functioning differently today. He's not using, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I'm a cessationist or continuous. I don't really know where I am on that right now, if I'm honest. Yes, you do. But yes, I, you I, do. I lean, yes, you I do. lean cer- in, different, in different ways, concerning <laughs> different things. But um, if you do ascribe to that, then what you're saying is that God has operated differently at different points in history. I mean, heck, if you even ascribe to the incarnation and mm-hmm. the resurrection, you're saying God operated differently for that 35-year span than he has without his character and his essence ever changing, like like him being the same. So that's where I would say that I think under the theocracy of the Old Testament before coming of Christ, post-Christ, and now after the end of the Judaic Aeon, I I think we see different operational aspects. So what was different with the way that the kings were chosen back in the day versus now? I don't know if I would say the kings necessarily, I'm not saying I would say the kings necessarily it could have been, but I think that there was under that rule with God as their king, like so God is our king, but not in the same way. He's not nationally our king like he was supposed to be the king of Israel. And so I think that God was much more directly, seemingly, from my interpretation of scripture, directly involved with appointing those leaders than he is indirectly involved with the appointing what of What makes our you leaders. say that? The, I think, the Samuel Yeah. Choosing well, I mean, yeah, we don't, Saul, we, we don't, we don't have like priests or prophets coming to, right. to, to Trump and going, you're anointed to be the next king. Well, well probably, someone we probably did do, do that with yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> they're a false no. prophet, right? right. Mrs. We would say, Mrs. White did that one. But I kind of think like with Adam, practically speaking, they got what they asked for. We get what we ask for. It's part of, especially if you're going the indirect route, Yeah, like you're trying to argue most of this stuff, good or bad, can be indirect. That happens on earth. And I think that it's actually kind of a comforting thing to look at the Old Testament and see like God literally ordained yeah. through his prophets, these kings mm-hmm. who did some great things and did some horrible things yeah. and were sinful, broken humans, which I think can also, we can look towards pastors. Like yeah. Yeah. they're not going to be perfect, even if it's a God ordained first king of Israel and many kings after that yeah. sucked. I just think so that it's I, like, the reason I think this is, I, there's many reasons I think this is an important conversation, but one of them is that people think like America is the new Israel at times, like mm. nationally speaking. And I'm like, it's not. Like, it's not. Not at all. God, God is not sending not us judges all. to deliver us from right. like the tyranny of our oppressors. He's not He's not directly appointing through the prophets kings to rule over us. It's so different now. And we need to understand that. We are, we are not the fulfillment of that. You know, Trump's not the new Messiah. Like nothing like that. It's different now than it was, I think, than it was then. Same God, same plan of redemption, same regenerative process in salvation, but I think it's different in how directly involved with like specifically nation of Israel he was, or perhaps healing or some of the gifts that we see and how things changed after the end of the sacrificial system in the Judaic Aeon 70 AD. Yeah. I mean, obviously America is not, the no. USA is not a theocracy. It is not God's chosen sure. people. 
I, I don't even think we were founded by majority Christians. It was probably majority deism that founded our country, which may be another episode, but that'd be a fun um, episode to talk about. God ordains both the means and the end that he intends to arrive at with those means. And so Proverbs gives us all sorts of things. I mean, the the hand, the heart of the king is in his hand. He turns it like a river wherever he so desires. Um, he raises up nation, he casts down nation and things like this. And so whatever God does, he does for his glory and to witness to himself, uh, to both all in the world, both believing and unbelieving. And I think that there is an unhealthy trajectory as much as I love frame and a lot of his modern stuff he's so and all great. the triangles everywhere. So I mean, he's, he was one of my profs, but to say that God is mutable in any way Yes, scripture does mention God grieving, God repenting, you God said he's mutable in some changing way. his mind. But we understand that in means and end type language. Yes. And so frame does something, I'm just saying, that classical theism has never done. And so he's doing a modern thing, which James White's doing today, John MacArthur's doing today, that historically isn't Christian. And so I'm just saying immutability matters. And that's the ultimate answer to I Peter's question. I agree with that question. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So along the same lines in the double predestination episode, that's where this question comes from. <laughs> Instead of the words active in regeneration and passive with the reprobate, Robots. would it be more yeah. precise to use active and responsive? I think we would say no to that. No. All of us, right? Even Aaron. No. Because God responds yeah, to all that's people. Not, he doesn't I mean, respond it, to our choices. It depends that's on kind the, of what it that depends, it, Once again, I want to be yeah, like, I want to be what, sensitive to what does this person it. mean? Like, from our perspective, God reacts. But from the Bible's perspective, from the eternal no. perspective, he, he doesn't, doesn't react because he doesn't like, get new yeah, information. So that's like mean, saying, we. Th I think I could touch that. No, no, me, me feeling, like, but it's like, like I actually can't. Let me put it this way. If you confess your sins... He is then reactively faithful and just to forgive sins. First John 1 9. Amen. So from our perspective, like, but they so were I saying, think it's a fair question. But they were saying active with regeneration and passive with yeah, so and, no, and like responsive with categories. the reprobate. I think he yeah. means, or no. this question probably means when, when we reject, he responds with yeah, that. No. I don't think so. Yeah, no. But they followed up with, mm. or maybe proactive and active, which that would just mean active. Active beforehand. I mean, that's just proactive or reactive. Yeah. Like it's kind of the same thing. Like yeah. it's, uh, we would say that God is fully proactive in all things. He knows all things. Even, even the non-reformed person that's biblically based would say he's omniscient. He knows everything. So it's nothing's taking him by surprise. So he's not reacting like we would react to anything. And so he's proactive in all things. Mm -hmm. It's just, is he directly proactive or indirectly proactive? Th I keep coming back to that. Just that <laughs> is, yeah. I want to land where Westminster and London Baptist Confession. And those are the, ter that's the terminology they use in the confessions. Well said. We need to affirm that. I just want to give props to whoever asked this question. It shows that you're thinking about this deeply and in even coming up with terms to perhaps think about this in a different, yeah. more nuanced way. That's yeah. what it's all about. Shows a mind that is engaged with the question. Yeah. Keep on. Yeah. I love that. It's Keep true. on pulling these threads. In the coping mechanism episode, if alcohol is used as a coping mechanism, by the way, I did not send this question. Um, <laughs> if alcohol is used as a coping mechanism, how do you know where to draw the line into where it becomes sin? I do think we kind of answered this on the episode, yeah. but let's dive in just with a quick kind of answer here. Quickly, I'd, I'd, I'd probably draw the line a lot sooner than Aaron would, probably. <laughs> no one be just, uh, so, I'm joking, to me, I'm joking, I'm joking. If, if you're using alcohol as a coping you mechanism. You can't joke that way anymore. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you do, what you do what you get. If you're using alcohol as a coping mechanism, I would say you 
you cross a line, when you start doing it daily, when you need it to settle down, when it become, when you become reliant upon it, and this is, this would go with anything, but the question is about alcohol. When you become reliant upon it to have to calm down, which probably will lead to, you'll eventually need more of it to calm down, which then would bring you closer to drunkenness, which is all problematic throughout this. I don't think it's wrong to do this. There just is probably a lot better options for you to cope with. I think it's funny because I bet you most non-Christians would say it is wrong to cope with alcohol. Yeah. But like Christians <laughs> yeah. are like, oh, no, no, that's our liberty. Let's cope with alcohol. Well, so here, we're let's not going to your, call sin get to your something answer the Bible here. doesn't call let's, sin. Let's, let's get to your answer. I mean, it, obviously, like Power said, <laughs> I want to be serious about it because like, I like yeah, to joke. Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. look, you guys know that. If you come to Billings or watch us, like, I like to joke around and stuff. And alcohol is always that, that kind of low-hanging fruit where if a pastor drinks, like, whatever can be thrown around. But I will say this, like the standards that we erected in that episode still stand. If you're addicted to it and look, when we talk about an unhealthy dependency on something that is subjective, like we're admitting that that's mm-hmm. subjective. That could be anything. And unhealthy dependency on, 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 on Netflix, different on, people. on, on Coffee. You know, candy, on oh, whatever, yeah. ice cream, whatever, like where is Golf. it, is it bad after a stressful day for me to sit on, for me to sit on the couch with my wife and eat a bowl of ice cream and watch a show on Netflix to, Ooh, yeah. to, to de-stress, yeah. like Maybe. to de-escalate. I think that's, we talked about that a lot on the podcast. And so some of this is subjective, but if if you are addicted to it, if you are getting drunk and saying it's not drunkenness, but it is, which we've seen oftentimes in the church or whatever, where it's just like, hey, that's that's not okay. To have a glass of wine at the end of the day, to do it daily, I wouldn't say that's a problem. And here's the thing is to secondarily use it as coping, which maybe we talked about, maybe we didn't, but that's how the Christian's supposed to do this. Like, obviously the spirit of God is like our primary coping person, like to with help the Lord. us with the Lord. find peace and find Amen. comfort. And then we utilize the good gifts that God has given us right, right. to help with the stresses of this life without abusing them, without becoming addicted to them, without getting drunk off them or whatever it is. And actually, I think it's the next question, but Paul actually instructs Timothy toward that, I think, when he says, take a little wine, a little wine for, for your stomach. stomach yeah. um, he's saying him, to him, we don't know what that ailment was. It could have been a psychological thing, a physical thing. It could have been a conglomeration for many of us. I'm just saying. I think we, we know what it was. We okay. don't. Really do. All the okay. scholars don't. Do they, yeah. Mr. Context <laughs> is everything, and you figured out the earth is old, but you can't figure out that he had a stomachache. <laughs> so what was the ailment? A stomachache. That's oh, what it was. No. Like, All right, listen. There was something physical listen, in his stomach. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I actually, as you were talking, I was starting to think like maybe that explanation of the spirit of the Lord being what helps us cope, and then- to add joy, that's the part of these Christian liberties you're discussing, but not to cope, but to add joy, which yeah. anytime you're sad, if you can add happiness, that's good, but it's not necessarily helping you cope with what the problem is. So I would get more behind that probably than I was. And I this is an episode I actually wish we could redo because I talked to Tim about it and he listened to it, my brother-in-law, and he said the first thing he went to was Psalms. We didn't talk about it at all. And that's what it's filled with, is David coping with all sorts of issues similar to what we deal with today. Wine gladdens the heart of man. But I'm just saying, we didn't even talk about it. And I think that's a really good kind of mindset to be in when you're coping and when you do have issues. Go to a book of the Bible like that and and you can see like song. The anatomy of the soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all its ups and downs. All right. 
Another one from that episode. I truly believe God gives us those things to enjoy. But once anything becomes something we turn to to wind down or relax, I think that goes beyond what we find in the scriptures. Many places in the Bible, it instructs us to rest in him, bring your concerns and anxieties to him, etc. I am the first to admit that I have decompressed to a lovely reserve. But I don't think scripture supports that. Can you show me otherwise? Maybe that full-bodied cab with the praise music on to direct our concerns to him and enjoy his gifts. It's kind of a long wordy question, but I think what he's saying is where in the Bible does it say that this is okay? I think we just talked about the Psalms. You should say it doesn't, I think it actually does talk about wine gladdening the heart and Ecclesiastes speaks to that as well. But I think it's way beyond alcohol. I don't think alcohol was like the problematic (laughs) concern in the Old Testament or the New Testament that it is today. Like people weren't as, as cognizant of drunkenness sure was. And so like music, and it doesn't have to be praise music. It could be putting on some Bob Marley, like we were on the golf course the other day trying to de-stress, right? And you put on some Bob Marley. How did that it didn't work out for It did not work. <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't we work. horrible. But, uh, or I listened to this guy's chagrin because we were, before that, he's like, can we listen to something other than neoclassical? Mozart. Like neoclassical yeah. music the entire time. But that's, that's not Christian. That's not sacred, which I hate that dichotomy. But I'm using it to kind of even myself out to like it's it's been shown scientifically to like help the mind think and process certain things that we can do i'm just saying like it does. Just, I have I'm, a laughing because, I'm laughing because i'm this. thinking like aaron kern has so many coping mechanisms he's like he just lives trying to cope like aaron I, he's just well, always trying to balance himself he's defense. just trying to balance himself to his always. defense when everyone's looking at you it feels like you got to try to I figure out how to live I hear that. you. I'm not condemning it. I'm and just saying I think it's funny. Like you just defense. And, and most pastors hide their coping mechanisms. I just put mine on blast. <laughs> They're like right there. There you okay. go. Okay. First Corinthians 10, 23 to whoever asked this question. What a wonderful question. It also shows you're thinking about these things. All things are permissible from the Bible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And then at the end of that section, it just happens to said, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You can drink a reserve, a cab, alcohol, coffee, water. (laughs) You can do all kinds of things to the glory of God. Whatever you do, you can do to the glory of God insofar as you're not crossing an explicit biblical, implicit also line of sin um, but this is this is the line based on where we're at, based on who we are, based on who's around us. All things are permissible, but not everything is going to be beneficial. In community, you've got to walk that out. This is not a black and white issue. You got to be okay with the gray. You got to do life with others. Let them talk to you and say, "Hey, I see you doing these things. Let me help you figure this out. This looks healthy. That looks unhealthy." Because you can't trust your own judgment on these things because we are fallen people that will naturally justify our own behaviors for what we want in our sinful okay, tendencies. So just that last thing you said. Hmm. I was just going to say, I stand on my arguments from the prior one because we don't need to rehash everything. But just you saying, we are fallen people that are going to justify and yeah. do the wrong thing. That's why I would just say, no, don't cope with alcohol. But all right, let's get to the manifestation episode. What is the difference between new age manifestation type of thinking and what has been called the name it and claim it line of Christian teaching? Is there a difference? Not really. I don't think so either. Yeah, not, no, not really. Hey, I mean, that that's, was lightning. That's yeah. what that, that's got where one that, lightning that, that is where good. it comes from. And even Bethel acknowledges that. And the Johnson knowledge, this comes from 1980s, 1990s new age movement into that word of faith. So yeah, there's not much difference. <laughs> so to say that you're a new kind of Christian doing these things is really to say you're an old kind of heretic. 
Ooh, Ooh that was, what Bert, Bert Parsons said that. Zing. It wasn't me. Oh yeah, I, I think hopefully that Twitter. doesn't apply to um to what we talked about with Frame and James White. But oh, I thought you were going to make an NSYNC. Frame is an old kind of heretic. Um, is that what you're saying? You said he's <laughs> this is new to Christianity. Like what oh, he's doing. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. In the why does the church so easily accept certain sins episode? This question came. How do you determine the difference between things like gossip or prayer requests and confidence or pride? This is the subjective nuance here that we're talking about, yeah. though, where it's so easy for us to, I mean, you say, you're saying it's easy. I want to know how it's easy it's for you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, like, it's, very, it's, it's very easy to me. We're it's like certain Expand. things, right? Certain things like you know it when you see it. Have you ever uh, wondered when somebody said something? I wonder if that's a genuine prayer request or if that's, if that's gossip. <laughs> Have you ever heard a guy talk and brag about something and be like, I wonder if that's just confidence or if that's pride. I'll just say for me. Be honest. Come on. It's pretty obvious for me yeah. to see like that sure. dude's proud. Like unless that's unless they're really good at duping you. And that's fine. And people are. It's possible. Yeah. I would say it's unlikely. No. But yeah. like somebody, I think the same person <laughs> can be really confident in something and also proud and bragging yeah. in two different like mixed, venues. Like somebody bag. get up and speaking like that can be confidence. They can be very confident. Sure. Then they can say something where you're like, that's pride. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's, I yeah. think there is a there's a major difference. You shouldn't have to tell somebody you're confident. You know what I mean? Like, that's not something confident people usually do. No, I don't think they do. The, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think they do, but I think they come across a certain way. And when you question them, hey, Pete, like, you really seem prideful. No, no, I'm just confident. You know, I'm just I'm just confident in who I am in Christ or confident in the gifts God's given me, that type of thing. Or, or, hey, Adam, that seems like really gossipy. And you're like, no, it was just like a concern I have for these people. Like, you know, and so I do think, I agree with no, you. No, actually. I agree with I, you too. I agree with you actually that like by and large it's kind of easy. Like you're we're looking at this. It's harder to see in ourselves, but you, you know can see it in other people it. easily. Right. Yeah. And so I think there has to be a willingness. To, I don't think there's enough of a willingness to be introspective and to check ourselves of why am I sharing this? Mm. Like why am I uh, carrying myself the way I'm carrying myself? Like um, why why do I feel the need to bring this up to to people? Whatever whatever it is, I think that and, and that goes back to the coping thing too. There has to be a willing examination to say is how I'm conducting myself, is how I'm coping, is how I'm speaking, is this right? Yeah. I don't think there's enough of that. I think we just let things and we, out And today. we can't only ask it ourselves. We got to like ask each other. Like you tell me, is is my deep dive into this, yeah. is that off? For the person who asked the question, it's a great question. And I would say- It is. It's a ask, great question. Ask the people closest to you in your yeah. life who, yes. are not, who are not buffoons, right? Like who are not just going like, <laughs> to stroke your ego. The people you trust and love. But the people like that are godly in your life, that are wise in your life, ask them. And- do you see me as proud? How do I conduct myself as proud? Do you see me as gossipy? Do you see me as uh, somebody who's exercising on my lust? Whatever it is, you know, because these are interior sins we're talking about mm -hmm. that manifest themselves outwardly. And maybe ask people that have told you when manifest. they've seen other sins in your life. Number one. Number two, I think if anybody tells you that you were gossiping or you were proud, you should probably check and be like, there's yeah, probably a, right. there's probably a hint of that there regardless if you agree. That. Right. You can yeah. talk to them about it. And then you'll get a bottle of cab. And <laughs> but we're all sinners and that those are so right. easy to, to yeah, right. seep into just how we live our lives yeah. normally. Yeah. Same uh, episode, different question. How do you pursue holiness in a world of worldliness? If you are concerned with the outside performance, how do you get to your own heart? Oh, this is such a good question. Kevin DeYoung once said, worldliness is one of those words that's hard to define, but he put it so wonderfully when he said, worldliness is anything that makes holiness seem strange. Like that, that's not but for I would say you. holiness is really hard to define too. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> it's the converse of worldliness. So if one's hard to define, the other would be too. No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, you've got to be in the world. You got to know the world in order to know what to go against. You got to know scripture. More importantly, I think the way to be holy, I think for me, it comes down to three things as I'm examining lust my, the flesh, lust the my, part of life. <laughs> my own life. Uh, that's a good worldliness. Yeah. Definition. I think it's the best. First John 2, right 15, there. right? 15 through 17, yeah. Yeah. What a book. What a book that, that one is. That's um, a good one. First John. <laughs> check that one out. Oh my gosh. Second John, like, not so much, but first John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Third John. <laughs> the sequel's never as good as the first one. Y'all are, y'all are nuts. Holiness looks like, I think, three things in the Christian. It looks like hearing his voice, so that's word, having his ear, prayer, and belonging to his people, church, uh, word, prayer, church. Historically, these are the three things that have marked all Christians throughout the ages. These are the three things that mark Christians today in whatever culture we live in. These three things, we might line up with a lot of culture if we do these three things. We might be totally polar opposite against the whole world around us if we do these three things. But those three things are the things that ought to mark every Christian in all times and places. Look, if you if you come here, you know this, but I've talked about it quite a bit, I feel like. Worldliness has been seen for the last since the hippie movement as a very external thing, but John makes it a very internalized thing. That does not mean that it won't show itself externally, but lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life, what that means. We don't have time to really break it down, but we talk about it in sermons. Holiness, conversely, to me, has always been primarily when we're talking about practical holiness here, not positional, but um, at least I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's intimacy with Christ and imitation of Christ. Like that in the same way, first John two, six, that Jesus walks, so walk. So like look at the example of Christ for us. Obviously he's primarily redeemer. I get all that, but he's also an example to us of how we should walk. And then whoever does not love Jesus Christ, first Corinthians 16, 22 is cut off or anathema. And so like we truly love the Christ of the Bible and we truly strive to walk like the Christ of the Bible. And that is simplistically to me, like what holiness means. And so hopefully that answers the question. I think it's harder to define than than Adam said on both sides. And I think, I think was it this week where he talked about Hudson Taylor's yeah. clothes and hair and whatever. And some people would see that as worldliness yeah. and others would not. But I do think everybody kind of has a line where you're like, that's worldly. Yeah. You know, regardless of whether it's external, internal seeping into external or you just see it externally. Then we just have to find out like as best we can where Jesus line was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what did Jesus refrain from doing? Because some of that stuff we're very comfortable doing. What did he actually do? Some of that stuff we were like, wouldn't do. Like yeah. where, where did Jesus, how did Jesus walk? And let's walk that way. And he he made both the religious people and irreligious people very mad. Yeah, especially in all this. People. And so there might be some of that be even like in our own lives too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're doing something. That's <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Furtick episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you build discernment between soft gospel and good gospel, or even, and here I take exception to this, or even strict gospel, which they <laughs> put in parentheses legalism <laughs> and real gospel? Explain your nuance there. I, I didn't write this. They wrote right, this. I, know, but I, don't, why do you... I don't think strict okay, so, gospel so, is legalism. I think we should all be living by strict gospel so, personally. Okay. Let, let, me, the word gospel. let me frame, I okay. think, what they're saying okay. is there is a to a certain extent, a pendulum that's swinging back and forth here. And in the, I hate to say middle, at the highest point is the true gospel, the pure gospel, the unadulterated, not the gospel of the Judaizers and Galatians and not the gospel of the libertines and Jude, mm -hmm. where one is abusing the gospel and the other is adding to the gospel. I think that's what they're saying. How do, we, how do we maintain this? Because the natural proclivity for us is in reaction to one, we swing the other way. 
And in reaction to this, we swing back this way. And so we start adding a bunch of rules to it and judging everybody based on those rules and how mm -hmm. we perceive things. And then we're like, so fed up with that. We're like, no, no, no. And then we go to the other extreme. No there's, rules. There's no rules and there's no, no commandments. Yeah. And I think the greatest way, I'll, I'll keep it really brief, the greatest way to discern the error of the soft gospel, of the prosperity gospel, of the moral gospel, of whatever it is, is to know inside and out the best we can, the true gospel. Yeah. Like that's it. Like, like and so we study the word. I'm not saying that we don't secondarily study these concepts and read about Bill Johnson and read about Hillsong and read about Stephen Furtick and read about whoever, right? I think, I think that's important, but to know like what does scripture declare to us concerning the true gospel? Paul says in Galatians 1, 8, 9, if anybody comes to you preaching another gospel of any sort, they're cut off their curse. So mm -hmm. what is the gospel that would dictate to us that anything else is another gospel? That's We've so got to know good. that. That's so good. You're very encouraging today, man. That's so good. Yeah, I'm so, feeling good today, man. Yeah. It's the stash. <laughs> it's, it's the stash. Uh, we we recently had a, like, you, you, death sobers a lot of people. Yeah. Kind of wakes them up. You guys have recently had a death in the church. We had a death a little bit removed from us. The, the One of the missionaries we support in Vietnam, northern Vietnam, where the war was, one of their national workers in Laos that they've been training up and building churches and discipling, uh, church planners and a, a lot of wonderful things are happening in Laos. We got news Thursday that he was missing. Saturday morning, we got news right as we started our round uh, that his body was found uh, lying in a ditch. Uh, I think the local police nabbed him, things like this. But I got an update from this from the family, the wife who is thinking about these things, having kids now without a father, and she's now husbandless. Um, we got an update from from them through our missionary, and I was about to preach our two services, and I just thought, I mean, what a question. You know it when you see it, soft gospel, real gospel. I want someone preaching to me who's going to help me die well. I don't want someone who's going to preach to me in a soft and silly manner that's going to make me comfortable down here in this world and try to get all my hopes and dreams here. I want someone to preach me into heaven and make me homesick for my true home with the Lord. There's a massive difference between Stephen Furtick and John Piper. Know it and see it mm -hmm. and love the real thing and hate the phoniness. That's all I have to say. And I would say strict gospel is not legalism at all. Legalism misses the gospel. I'm, I'm with Aaron on that one. Well, how would you define gospel? I think that's a whole different. How would you define episode? gospel? Would you define gospel by the rules? Yeah. So you don't strictly so, live by that? So, no, but the, so, no, I do. Exactly. <laughs> my point. But I think the way the person's asking Words. the question, the way the person's asking the I question, I get it. But I think it's important it. to talk about that. So the gospel is not legalism, strict no, no. or any other. No, but I think, definition I think of they're it. saying you can add, a, like, like the Judaizers were doing in Galatians, you can add circum, they were adding circumcision to the gospel. Like that's what they're talking about. Is adding all this stuff to the message of grace, man-made traditions, that, that, right? Things like that. They're talking about, and I would call that something else. Oh, okay. What 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 would you call like it? like living by the law, strictly okay. by the yeah. law, not so the gospel? We're, maybe the we're gospel saying the same thing. You're legalism. using different words. The gospel broke legalism. That's what Amen. I would say. Anyways, okay. Verdict episode again. How do we personally get ourselves to a place of believing and knowing that we believe an unadulterated version of the gospel? I don't think this probably is easy for me to say because I spent my whole life doing this, but I don't think it's that complex. There's there are good Bible teachers out there. We have scripture right in front of us. There are good commentaries. There are so many good sources today. When I say sources like Logos and, and otherwise to help us to understand what the original languages were intending. It's not that complex. There's a lot of complexity in Christianity around 
a lot of these other things we talk about. Clearly, we do hour-long podcasts on this stuff. When mm. it comes to the gospel itself, the reason people abuse it or add to it is because it's so beautifully, I think, simple, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he unpacks, I think, what that means in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. It's just it, like the, the gospel stands, I mean, Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel stands as this good proclamation that God has met the need the ultimate need of the heart has resurrected the heart, the heart that had sinned and strayed from him has resurrected that by Christ standing in their place and securing in his redemption, not only amnesty, but regeneration itself, the mm. work and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us from death to life. It's all a work of God. It's not, I, I met with somebody, actually really, really kind, gracious lady last night about the Fertig episode. And I just, I used the word Jesus because that's what Fertig does. And, and look, I respect his passion. I respect his artistry. And, and once again, like we saw in the episode, I'm not saying he's like going to hell or anything. I think he's wrong because ultimately one of the reasons is he makes every text of scripture, I would argue about him, which is Jesus. It's taking and exegeting a text. So it's all about us. It's we're David, we're Samson, we're, we're Jesus. Like mm -hmm. that's not, not scripture like that's not that's not biblical gospel and so simply put like the biblical gospel is ultimately it's for us but it's ultimately about christ and about the love of god for us and so exploring that and unpacking that granted i get it like it's a lifelong pursuit but just having a refusal a steadfast refusal to add things to it or to take things from it um that's that's where you have to land that's so good that the adding things to and taking things from yeah. like think th think of your preacher as the server who's bringing the meal from the kitchen that the chef has cooked. Put mushrooms on it. You're no, like, no. This, doesn't have mushrooms this on server it. is not adding his own seasoning or taking away things that he doesn't think that the people at the table will find appetizing. He's bringing it. He ought to bring it as it was made, hot and fresh from the kitchen for the people to feast on, rather than doing his own twist to it and trying to make it more whatever he wants to do. There's something about authentic gospel preaching that sounds repetitive, old, and dare I say, boring. If you find your pastor Only saying- sunrise, apparently. I don't know what saying, you're talking about, bro. <laughs> if you find your pastor saying the, the same things over and over and over, you should rejoice because what did Paul do? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. So there's a tradition in which we must always remain and then- I, I agree. I'm, I'm totally to others. Totally. You're I like mean, the, you're I mean, like I the best. I don't ever want to be boring. You're the but best preacher is. in the Tampa Bay area. I'm <laughs> yeah. totally joking. Altar call episode. Mm -hmm. I missed this one, and I think it would have been interesting. What would be a good alternative instead of emotional altar calls? And I think it is interesting because I think churches talk about it sometimes too little yeah. about actually conversion yeah. and people they, getting saved. You can do church. this today, right? Right. Because right. you you literally can. Yeah. So, what is a good alternative to the? Mm. Come just as you are. I, th I think music at the conclusion as not just like a tack on. We've talked about that with like the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Like yeah. The snack. I think music, like I, I can go with Riley, who's our, she's our worship resident here. And she heard the message of the gospel. And then it was during the response of time just last year when we were singing the message of the gospel. This is why the songs we sing are important. That she gave her life to Christ. And I think that, I think we should press them 
like Spurgeon always said, press them to trust in Christ. Mm -hmm. I try to weave that in as often as possible. Press them to trust in Christ, to present to them. I mean, so we're trying to do what we're saying here, to present to them, hey, here are pastor elders up front afterwards. If you have questions, please come talk to them. Instead of, hey, we're going to sing a 17th stanza of Just As I Am. I actually like the way Trill does it. Yeah. Like like, he makes it it pretty clear. It's not like an altar call, but he's like, let me talk to you about Jesus today. I'd love to talk to you about him. Like if you have any... Come talk to me. It is like It is like a altar call basically because he's not just like if you need me to pray for you because right. that, that's one thing and if i was thinking and wrestling with this in the crowd and somebody's like can i pray for you but if he's like come talk to me about jesus today yeah it's like okay i need to go talk to that yeah guy. I, you know, I something think, like that that's I just like a normal everything line. after the sermon should be for believer i mean the church is primarily for believers mm-hmm. but it should be for believers and if anybody has come in who's an unbeliever to respond to what they've heard the right. music should be set up that way the invitation to right. come talk to me, to pray with me should be set up that way. The plea should be set up that way. And so that's that's what I think we should do in lieu of this manipulative, potentially manipulative, mm-hmm. hey, come, like, we're just going to stand here and keep singing until 12 people are kneeling here at the altar, you know. Last question right here, and then we'll we'll do more on another episode. Maybe. Yeah. God is the author of sin episode. If God designed us with the capability to fall into sin, isn't that a design flaw? Look, whatever, God doesn't care what I think about him in the sense of, me- meaning that God, God isn't going to be like, oh, darn it, Aaron thinks I like created people with a design flaw. Like he's not, he's not like worried about that. Um, so If it just, makes you love him less and worship him less <laughs> and give him less glory, I so, think But what I was going to say is, in my attempts to try to understand God and how he functions, um, I don't think that he forced us, forced humanity to fall into sin. I think that that was part of his plan, yeah. as we talked about. Yeah indirectly he's not he's not culpable for that he's not evil in it indirectly that was his will that humanity willfully we willfully fall into sin and i don't think it's a design flaw to for him to create humanity with the potential for good or evil Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a design flaw i think maybe you could argue design flaw if he just created us with only the potential we're going to do evil and he's forcing us to do evil which i don't think the bible teaches but I don't think I don't think to to create somebody with volition and give them volition, especially as we understand it, that seems like the best way to create humanity. That's not a design flaw. Um, a mind with infinite wisdom. If this is the way yeah. he chose to do it, out of the millions and billions of infinite possibilities that could have been, we must conclude that the world we live in is the best of all possible worlds. But you would have to throw our logic out for that. You would, because well, I mean, logically I- speaking, you would not do that. This this but is I'm not the not way God. you. I, I understand right. that. Yeah. But I think that you know what's so is, illogical though is that people go, well, if I was God, I would just made it so that evil wasn't even possible. Like correct. I was, and yeah, the same. Then then in the very next breath they'll go, but there has to be free will. There has to be. Voli-. I'm like you correct. can't have both. Correct. You, it's one That's or the other. God decided to give us volition and will, and chose to allow will, willfully allow evil to enter the world to bring redemption through that. Like it is the best of all possible worlds, and I think we. We submit our logic to it, but still logically, we try to figure out how Correct. all this of works. Of course, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. not true, saying true, that there's true. nothing logical in Christianity yeah. at all. I think it's very logical, but I think there are certain yeah. things that fall apart when you have an infinite being like God living outside of time and space that like we just can't understand certain things. The Bible there's literally a, there's says a roof that. We cannot and get... I think it's okay to talk yeah. about that and talk about how, like, logically speaking, if he could have created people without the capability to sin. There would be less sin. Sin is bad. There would be less bad. There would be less evil. That logically tracks. So if he didn't do it that way, then obviously 
He did it with a flaw. If something breaks and something doesn't do what you want it to do, then it's a flaw in our mind. But that's not the redemptive plan that he created and set up. That's the point is it wouldn't have worked out the way that it did, which many people on earth now think it's not working out the way that it should, right? Yeah. But again, that's submitting to somebody that has- Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's what we should have comfort in when right. it really seems like times are bad. Is this where we need to make our little caveat, ca- caveat yeah, about I mean, that Yeah, I At the end of the episode, after Danny hosted that one, she asked us a question. We were like, dang, you should have asked on the episode. That was a good one. Uh, and she's great. Like, uh, not her fault. We just ran out of time. Yeah. But it was on that. As we are here too. We're kind of we're kind of coming at this whole God to alter of sin and so many of these things, the double predestination episode. We're kind of coming. I think Adam and I, when we disagree. We went like 50 minutes we're back coming, and forth. That we're was, coming at it from fun. two different angles. Adam is trying to see it from above. Like he's, he's and God's I'm not, I'm not perspective that, down. Yeah. And I'm trying to see it from the way that I understand the questions might be coming in of how we understand things. Man's perspective. And up. so we're fully culpable yeah. while God still remains fully sovereign over this. And right. both both perspectives are legitimate and true. Yeah. And it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. You can't see them both at the same time. So you have to kind of turn it to see. Yeah. And so we look at oh, like human, human responsibility and how we how we would do things and how we understand things and and our culpability. And then we can turn over the coin and see fully, clearly, biblically, God's responsibility and his sovereign will and, and direct, indirect. It's just hard for us because of our limitations, not his, to see both at the same time. And so I remember when I first came, coming from more of a reformed church, like much more conservative than Aaron, and I would think about how people would 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 explain that, and Breaking I'm kind liberal. of more on that side, Apparently. more on your side. I would say yeah. I'm more with you on how I would explain yeah. this, but it's very comforting, still truth, helps people understand that are new to it and that are baby Christians maybe, or even... Well, not thinking baby about Christians, these things for the first time. The way that Aaron explains it, I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's still true and it is still real. Like, it's absolutely real. We make a decision on earth, right? Yeah. We have that Amen. volition on earth. Amen. We can reject mm-hmm. on earth, yes. in my mind. Yes. I can reject. People yeah. do absolutely reject and Jesus every single day. And we brought right. calamity. Correct. I mean, yeah. There's no doubt you can't argue that people don't reject Jesus every single day right. on their own volition. So I do think that's an important way for people yeah. to understand it. But hey, that's it. That's all yeah. we have time for. We'll, do, we'll do a... Um, <laughs> kind of a season four intro Q&A with any other questions from this episode, if you have follow-up questions or any other from the episodes who have, that have not yet. I mean, by the time you see this, all of them will have been released. But if so, if you have other questions from the episodes this season, please shoot them in. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we love you guys. We love to get and do this. I'm sorry. I'm so snarky. Uh, it's terrible. I apologize. That's why we love you. It's okay. <laughs> if you didn't have it, you wouldn't be here. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.